Hey, Jeremy. Oh, summer vibes, uh, like a murder mystery. Hey, man. <laughs> don't kill me. Yeah. No, no, no. Don't worry. I was worried about you, uh, actually, because yeah, we kind of were both AWOL for a little while there. Um, Were you really worried? No, uh, a little bit. Not really. Did you think there was something? Sad. I, I okay. thought you were just busy, and then I was busy, too, a little bit. It was my birthday. But you had a lot. You had a bunch of things yeah. going on. I feel like every time I looked on Twitter, which we're not supposed to use anymore, you were like on some kind of spaces or putting up a new NFT. And it seemed like you were busy. You were in to- yeah, somewhere I, in Tokyo, but not really. No, but I'm enjoying Twitter. You know, I'm not very political, so I'm not going to. You're not on threads? I saw you on threads. Twitter. I posted something, but threads is mobile only, and I like things on the desktop. So. Well, you know what I was thinking the biggest weakness of threads is? Is this no Europe thing? It's it's Tell me. It's, it's it's killing us. us. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like I, so I was in yeah. uh, Paris and I was doing a performance, and I integrated threads into the performance because it was about new, like things being. New. Well, wait, 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 wait. Let's let's rewind. <laughs> Tell our listeners why were you in Paris? Uh, I was in Paris because I had like a little. Um, actually, I was with our friend, Damien Damiansky. Damien. How do you Damiansky. Damiansky. That's his. That's his pseudonym, but his real name. Well, I guess his 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 parents' his birth name is Damian. Yeah. So we yeah, got. But so his his internet handle is Damiansky, and everybody calls him Damiansky. Yeah, long time listener, many time question. Yeah. Anyway, we're Good, yeah great friend and 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 also a fellow AR artist with you. Yeah, yeah, and we were both presenting alongside one another. For the first, well, the second time, but the first time in person together. So uh, we were both at the Centre Pompidou. Uh, we've had this project that we did with ZKM that was in partnership with Pompidou, and the bill finally came did due. Did you go to Germany as well for this I, trip? I didn't go to Germany this trip. I, I went a few months ago. But Demianski... Then I yeah, saw Yeah, and you. then you saw me. Yeah. But anyway... We our our paths didn't quite cross. Just two two white male privileged assholes talking to each other. Yeah, but it's fun to meet you know artists that you haven't met in person. Like I forgot about yeah, that. Like yeah, it's yeah. a post pandemic, a fun thing to do, and especially in another city. Kristen came along. I reminded her I was like, you could come along on any of these trips. I'm <laughs> sure you've had that <laughs> conversation and, with Kristen. And Damien uh, brought brought his dog. Yeah, because of some emergency, it was ridiculous. <laughs> he yeah. said it was a service dog to every because we were going into museums and like at Palais de Tokyo, someone ran up to them. And he was, he finds a way. He always finds he's a way. Very sneaky, he's very just... sneaky, Damien. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we had a really good time. I think, and um, I think that everything was well received. Uh, but what was important to me is that... What did you think of the, the Pompidou as an institution? I mean, as a building, it's incredible. Uh, I also found out yeah. as a building from an architect that was I was there with is incredibly flawed. They're about to close it for five years for renovations again. Closed in the 90s, too. Yeah, it needs help. Huh? Yeah. So apparently putting all the yeah. pipes on the outside makes it... is hard. But it's mostly interior renovations, I think, that they're making. Um, but it's it hasn't... Mm. I think it's iconic. I will say it's like right up there. Yeah, it's a landmark. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, and yeah. It, you know, it was inspired by the the Nike Air Max, where you could see the inside of the sole and and the the air that was in the Nike. Oh, I didn't realize that. 
that was one of, one of the ins- inspiration points. And it was uh, Richard Rogers and Renzo Piano uh, who went. And, Richard Rogers did the Lloyd Center in London, which has pipes on the outside. I'm sure you've seen. And then the Shard mm-hmm. uh, is the piano. Uh, kind of reminds me of a tent as well, like a tent with those the the bearing structure is on the outside and the fabric is on the inside. Of tights? Tent. Camping. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. No, I, I mean, it, it, it's really, I thought, what's cool is that the, I'd never been inside. I had to admit that to the curator as soon as I got there. Um, I was like, I feel ashamed. Um, but. Why, why had you not, that, that's interesting to me. Why did you not go there before? Um, because I don't, I think I'd always favored the Palais de Tokyo, to be honest with you, because it's like more like the new museum of Paris. And so I'd yeah. been there a bunch of times yeah. and I'd always been like, ah, I don't need to go to the Pompidou. It's a place for pop, you know, it's like pop art kind of thing. And which is stupid because it's actually more my style, to be honest with you. I ended up going to Palais de Tokyo. There's a lot of video out there. Yeah. And I went to Palais de Tokyo and I hated the show there. So I was like, mm, maybe I'm a more Uh-oh. of a Pompidou guy. I don't mind saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember there's really good Lebanese sandwiches near the Pompidou. Oh, yeah. There's great Lebanese food in, in general in Paris. Um, yeah. So I had really good food, though. Yeah. I went for French food because I was like, I can get good lesbian, Le- Lebanese food. And did you did you join the riots? I just jumped in. <laughs> no, I did not. Ju- As a revolutionary? The riots did not coincide yeah. with my visit, actually. They were taking a little pause, and they were oh. going to resume as soon as I left. Could they not? They couldn't accommodate <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't make it work. didn't work with my schedule. Yeah. Anyway, it was really nice. Um, food is really, but you know, you always forget like how you live with such mediocrity until you have like. I know. You know like, why I do know. we? It's why? sad. Why do we do this to ourselves? No, I know. <laughs> it, 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 I did a residency in Paris for six months, and I was there, and I moved back to Amsterdam. And just every night, I'd go to the grocery store, and I was trying to find a certain satisfaction of flavor and I just could not get it. Mm. After living in France for three mo- uh, six months, I remember making carrot soup and just buying carrots at the grocery store and my girlfriend at the time was like, that this soup is amazing. <laughs> what did you put in it? Just carrots. Yeah. And it, it the same when I was in Japan. I would cook and you feel like a great chef because you just, you fry the fish in the pan and it comes out crispy and juicy on the yep. inside and you're like, I'm a master chef. Yeah, it's just good. And that's what chefs always say, but it's hard to believe until you have it. Yeah, and I know people. That, you no, know. and and the sad thing is, I I don't know how it is in Canada, but in New York, if you want to eat well, it's quite expensive, and it's still not the, the flavor is not really. That's there. just it. Like even the kind of worst brasserie, you know, I was looking up reviews, and we went to a few places yeah. that are like you know Michelin Bib or whatever, but even just like the place that we picked at random. I had some like great escargot. The the baguette was nice and crisp on the outside, soft on the inside. The yeah, butter melts yeah. in your mouth, you know, like I don't know, it's basic <laughs> stuff. Even the table Standards, wine is like yeah. delicious, cheap. Croissants. Croissant at an airport in, in Paris is ba- better than a Michelin star croissant in New York or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so. No, it's amazing. But then at the same time if you're trying to start a software company, it's harder in France than in California. Yeah, I think you have to be in know. fashion or something. Probably. No, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. You have to be miserable in other ways. Um, yeah. But it, how, is your, how is it speaking French? 
I love speaking French, um, and I enjoyed it tremendously. Your, do you have a Canadian accent? No, I have a, kind of a French-ish accent, more of an international French okay. accent. I, it's getting better. Uh, yeah. People were, yeah, I, I felt way more comfortable. I had a French assistant for a little while. Um, shout out to Ophélie. She wasn't able to make it. She's in Lyon. But uh, we used to have this arrangement. I highly recommend this to those of you that have the opportunity to like spend a lot of time with someone who speaks another language. The rule I had was she was trying to learn English, so she had to talk to me in English, but I could only respond in French because uh, I wanted my French to get better. Mm. And it, it really yeah. did help reset the quality of my French after, because I went to school in French, right? But you lose it over time. It's too bad that, yeah, it's too bad that Calgary and Vancouver, the, the time difference is so huge with Paris. Mm. Otherwise, you could do a few months in Paris per year and work from there. Yeah, I would do that. I, I would, I think while I was in Paris this time, I was like, why don't I live in Paris? This is great. Like, I speak French. Well, I tried it. Yeah. You did? Paris? I can tell you why you can't live there. But it, it might be different for you. But I, I was dating someone, whatever, long-term relationship at three and a half years. Mm. And so I was going back and forth to Paris. And then I did a residency, so I was there full-time. It was like a three-year sort of Paris period. And I just never made friends the same way I did in mm. Berlin or New York. It was. It, it might have been the language. I don't know. But No, I hear what you're saying. That was the bottleneck yeah. for me. Yeah. I mean, I, here's one thing I noticed yeah. is that, like, people treated me very differently uh, than those that were, like, when I spoke French than if I spoke English. You know? Oh, yeah. And yeah. if they thought I was French, it was like their eyes lit up and they were captivated. You well, know? it's the same... I mean, I think our very first episode was about being from Canada and being from the Netherlands and me being from the Netherlands, but my mom's from Brazil and uh, Brazil is amazing and festive and joyful and the Netherlands is more practical. And you go to Brazil and you're like, wow, life is amazing here, if, uh, et cetera. Yeah, why don't I live here? But it's still, it's to move, to move somewhere and feel at home, you just need some kind of natural rapport with people and i don't know if that's language or it's also that you fit in or, mm -hmm. I don't know also there's the distortion of being on vacation or whatever too so yeah yeah, yeah. if i if yeah, i did absolutely. have a chance to go there i think also like yeah i think it's just more like it was nice to be back in europe and it was great to be back in germany recently um so hey welcome you know why don't you i mean definitely the, the the thing that we did in germany just going to a cafe and having some cake yeah. and no one wants your table and you can sit for a long time. No tips. That feeling. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that no tipping culture. feels so right. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that people are being paid well. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. And uh, so you had a good experience and then you had a bunch of trips? No, no. I just did that trip. Or but Kristen continued on to Scotland and she's in Scotland right now with her sister. Were you traveling too? Okay. Like, did you go to? You saw that you were working on something in Tokyo. No, my my gallery, my gallery did a um, very large scale lenticula, and they sent me a video, mm. and then I s posted it as like, "Oh, we're working on something in Tokyo." I was okay. There. I was like, "That's a lawfully long." Sorry if that's this. That's a long way to go for just a test, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they they're very good at uh, coordinating the process. It's great to go that big though I, with I your lenticulars. Yeah. yeah. 
I saw tests when I was there, uh, like the full width, but 50 centimeters high. Mm -hmm. And now they did the whole thing. It's, it's two by three meters. I mean, the obvious next step is an entire lobby of like... Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I do like... There's something about a work when it's hanging on a wall and it's not the whole mm. wall that it has this sense of autonomy or this sense of uh, authority oh, yeah. that is different when it's wallpaper. I see what you're saying. Yeah, wallpaper diminishes in yeah. value, at least in terms of like, there's no frame for its importance. It's like, yeah, it's a backdrop except, for something else. Except for Solowit. Yeah, that's true. Solowit's yeah. a great example. Actually, I was reminded of Solowit at, at the Air yeah. Toronto airport. There's a Solowit in the international departures. But there's also a Richard Serra, and it's squeezed between like shopping mall, like kind of oh, stuff. Funny. But honestly, it's the best Sarah, I'm gonna go out and say it that I've experienced because you have like the noise of the shopping mall kind of situation, and then you enter into the Sarah and it's like perfectly quiet mm. and calm. And I actually yeah, really, yeah. really like the the contrast. Um so anyway, as you can see, I'm still energized from the trip. I I didn't switch and, and time uh, zones or anything. How much longer do you stay in Toronto? Be here for a couple more weeks, then back to Calgary. Got to get this place rented yeah. out. I'm going to become a landlord, so all you listeners that hate landlords can start to channel your spite toward me. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I know that's what you're planning to do. That's why I bring it up. So you're going to be like, but you know what the problem with the world is, Jeremy's people like you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was talking to a friend about... Uh, buying and renting and all this stuff and I told them this story like my parents when I was 18 they put me on a list for social housing mm -hmm. and the plan would be it'll take 8 to 10 years and you can buy you can rent a little thing 300 400 square feet 30 40 square meters and you'll be stable the rest of your life and that was kind of the plan and then everything I got after that was kind of like bonus so I reached a lot more real estate than I thought. It was never a goal. I, I think maybe your parents were different. Well, you know, I know my brother signed up for social housing. He got it, and then he complained that the floors were oh, too wow. cold. <laughs> so he, in New York? No, it was in Toronto, but he moved like two months later. But it took him 10 years to get in. Like, it's a, they're usually very oh, long yeah. waiting lists. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. But um, well, anyway, we're back. Uh, we're both back at it. You're about to go on vacation, though, I know, to uh, where I wanted to spend time with you in Long Island. In Long yeah. Island, yeah. Well, in two weeks. Yeah, yeah but I'm going to leave in the wrong direction, so I feel bad about that because I was really looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, you let us down. Did you find a replacement? No, you guys are irreplaceable. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. Uh, I was going to try and make it down to New York, but I don't know if that's going to be possible before I, I leave, so I think... Um, I think it's a pretty good excuse. What? My eye? Oh, yeah. Your eye surgery. Yeah, eye surgery is yeah. a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> I've been saving it yeah. up. You can also keep saying it. You can just say, oh, I can't make it. It was funny, though. Like, um, I had this eye surgery joke that killed in Germany. But in France, no, no such luck. <laughs> the only comment I got afterwards <laughs> was... Is it a language issue? I don't know. Because afterward, like, someone was like... A bunch of other jokes killed. And it was funny. Like, one where I made fun of Germany. People really laughed mm. hard. But um, afterwards, someone came up to me and was like, what are you complaining about? You're still so young. And I was like, because I was going to go blind. <laughs> They're like, who cares? <laughs> so I was like, okay, maybe that's like a French thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <anyway. laughs> but, I, I did hear from Damien that 
the your talk was by far the most uh, energizing and uh, it, it, he really enjoyed your talk and I know that a lot of tech talks can be too nerdy and you go at the whole so you must be happy to perform more I'm always happy yeah if any, I mean that's my post 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 lockdown, I, it's my happy yeah. place yeah so I feel good about it also yeah. um, credit to Damien because like the curator uh, singled him out when I sent a thank you. He's like, I love that Damien guy. His apps are so great, uh, so refreshing. And I think it's just humor in that context. And I think the French do love, you know, they love their uh, their gag humor. So, um, uh, you know, the Louis de Funès movies. Yeah, but I was also thinking, um, who's the American that was always um, in movies and Inspector Clouseau? No, his American that was always in these like. Um, French movies, Ugh, classic like 1960s, 70s guy, like Flubber, the original Flubber and stuff. What was that guy's name? Oh. Flubber, original movie. Do you remember? No. Sorry. Oh, man. I'll figure it out. Maybe it wasn't yeah. in that even. Okay. But anyway, one at one point it'll come to me. It's classic comedian. Um Yeah. But yeah, to the question whether I've been busy, because yeah. I, I made my own NFT website and I was like, okay, I'll do a project once a month. And then I did one and I was like, oh, I have a lot of unfinished projects. Yeah. Maybe I should do it twice a month. And now, like, why not every week? And it, like, you keep hitting this barrier. Like most people don't do more than three, maybe two generative projects per year. And so it seems kind of pushy to do many, but then you're like, yeah, why not? Let's try it. And it's going well. So, yeah. That's awesome. Um, and the But it, it, it felt, it, 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 I, I've been more active on Twitter. So it, it, there's a, you might know this feeling. Like, if you're invited to do a show or a talk, you feel free to do something. But if there's no invitation, it's a very different feeling. No, that's the whole thing, actually. Like, I, right now, actually, I have, like, a couple small invitation-y things. But I don't have, like a major new commission and it's a weird feeling i'm like uh oh i better start like pushing free back to you yeah back to you to start pushing the free stuff out but i'm also yeah but i also like usually like to have a little bit of time in the summer not to work so i'm not i'm not complaining but i feel like i i need to line up my fall activities i feel like not working is a lot more work that's what i'm saying Uh, yeah anyway uh by the yeah because because working you you have your setup and you're like okay, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to... But then all of a sudden it's vacation. It's like, oh, how do I make sure I don't get ripped off? (laughs) And how do I make sure this Airbnb is trustworthy? And uh, what's the best way to get there? And how long will be the delay at the airport? That's a lot of work. Well, a lot of what I... Like I paused kind of, let's call it like business development to to make people cringe. But like I paused like um, drumming up very much while I was having my eye surgery. But you do feel that like feast famine cycle, even as an artist, you know, how freelancers Mm. will, Mm. you know, have all the work in the world and then no work, but I have to get through the surgery. So once I do that, yeah, yeah. my friend says it's, yeah, you're either sitting or running. Yeah, exactly. By the way, the guy I was trying to remember is Jerry Lewis, you know, from the nutty professor, not from Flubber. Was he French? No, but he played in a lot of French. He was very popular in France. Um, Oh, and like David Hasselhoff was very popular. In yeah, Germany. exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the French love Jerry Lewis, from what I understand. I was not alive at the time that he was popular. <laughs> and we did, but but okay. So credit <laughs> yeah. to our listeners while we were away. It seems like when we go away, they 
they feel it and then they send us questions so we got a bunch of questions field recordings questions yeah, yeah. and so we're, we're gonna uh, run through three questions this episode we're gonna try it's a speed run yeah so christian Hjorth berge uh, i think from sweden but living in london mm-hmm. uh, yeah sure living in london say uh Living in London, but there's a field recording that we'll play at the end of this episode from Souk Beach in Victoria, British Columbia. Um, we'll get to that later, but then there's a question. Yeah. Uh, are you collectors? What do you collect and why? And we were both like, well, we don't collect because we're like minimalists. But I think he yeah. means collectors of art. And you must own even like, you own some other people's art. I know you do, um, and so do I. What, why? Why do you say that? Well, because you have some NFTs. I've I've seen your wallet, <laughs> or something. Yeah, people throw stuff in it. They just throw things in your wallet. I never bought one. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's called AirDrop. They can, you can like AirDrop an NFT into your wallet. <laughs> yeah, bro. Get with the oh, program. No, you can do that. You can't. You yeah. need the person's wallet. It's like a bank account. If you if you have someone's bank account number, you can just throw money in it. You can't refuse it. But how do you get their number? Oh, because they you sent they bought something from you or something. Well, the the whole thing is a public ledger, and so people will find out if you're uh, a famous collector, a wheel. I think you get five hundred airdrops a day. Or if MoMA opens a wallet, oh. and it's clear that MoMA has a wallet, yeah. Interesting. So how many works are in your wallet that were airdropped in? I'm not sure. I, I really don't know. But I think I've bought one or two from friends, and then a few were gifted, and then a whole bunch of spam. It's really literally like spam. It's Fascinating. Uh, random stuff. Okay, well, that was a more yeah. interesting answer but, than I expected. But what's funny about the whole... so. I'd never started collecting uh, NFTs either. I don't collect. First of all, I don't collect anything ever. Never did. I had a lot of CDs because I wanted the music, not because I want to collect CDs. So as soon as MP3s happened, I got rid of CDs. I had a lot of comic books, but then I started moving. And so I gave them to friends. But really, I don't know if you're similar, but really just absolute least possible stuff. Uh, so that that question is pretty simple for me. Yeah. Yeah. And and with NFT, you would think like, oh, it's easy. You can collect. It doesn't take up space. But I felt like it still will occupy your mind. And I just want to focus 100% <laughs> on creation and not on collection. No, I get it. I mean, I've bought a few pieces over the years to support different artists and galleries. And I've traded editions, as many of our listeners might have. But I think the question is more targeted as like, do you have you know, people that you go out and collect, that do you have intention behind it? And for me, it's more like a child walking well, it, through the forest grabbing leaves. It's like, you know, whatever come I collect through life, through my, like, various activities. Yeah, yeah, but but if, if for example, whenever I'm uh, in a publication, mm-hmm. I take a picture of the cover of the book and of the spread and uh, maybe one or two spreads, that goes in my digital archive, and then the book goes away. In, in whatever maybe to a friend maybe in the mail room we have this place where everybody drops books uh, had I collected every press, press clipping and whatever every time I move I would have to it's like 15 boxes and then it's 20 and then it becomes 30 mm-hmm. 
It's ridiculous. It's an embarrassment of riches. You know what I yeah. mean? I mean, I used to remember like... Well, it, it, and you lived in such a small place that that wasn't an option for you either to have a large book collection. No, and it's true. And like if I'm in magazines or stuff, I used to keep like five copies and I'm going to give, you know, put two in storage, give one to my mom. And uh, But now I'm like, just send me, you know, one is fine. Uh, and I don't, it's not like I have that many, yeah, but send I me live in such a minimal space that... Uh, and that's not really what's important to me anymore anyway, so. I own one book. Really? You have to guess, you have to guess who the author is. Um, I mean, I'm going to guess it's like Andy Warhol or something like that. It's, it's Seinfeld. Oh, book I knew you jokes. had that book because I bought it after you told yeah. me. Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. did we answer but, that question, or yeah, is there more? But Christina loves to collect. Like for for Christina, she often says it's it's her form of memory. Yeah. And so every time we visit a gallery show, she likes she will take a physical press release, and she has these binders with press releases. Does she browse them? She can go through them. She does. I think so. Sometimes she's like, "What was that artist we saw? It was like two years ago." And then she'll go through the folder and. Hmm. Yeah. Um. But to me, it's more like. If I can't remember it, it wasn't worth remembering. That's more of my mm-hmm. feeling. Kristen has changed me, though. I will say I was almost like a hoarder um, when she met me. I was coll- I would I was yeah. afraid to throw away anything. Was this when you were in grad school? Yeah, and coming out of that because I was quite poor, but like, um, like especially for like electronics, like I've and I still have a hard time getting rid of like. If I have two of a cable, I'm like, you know, I need, I might need this cable, but also I have lots of like weird archival technologies and things. And, um, so I kind of hold on to some of these things that are. Well, what's funny about that logic is that you can hold on to things for later and nine out of 10 times you won't need them. One out of 10 times you will need it. And then buying that thing again is cheaper than getting stored. Yeah, that's that's true. Like think like oh because this this of course two cables don't make a difference, but then it's like let's keep the VCR, let's keep the old fridge and put it in the garage. And before you know it, you need a bigger Yeah, house. I don't know what storage costs are like where you are, but it's like 200 bucks a month actually almost to store. Um <clears throat> Yeah. So it's yeah, it's not exactly. yeah, it's not a small amount to to buy storage. And and of course, you live in a huge house now in uh, Calgary, so I remember in my parents' house growing up, it was a pretty big house and a big basement and a big attic filled with stuff. And then moving time, it's unbelievable how much stuff there is in a house. Did you ever, like, collect stamps or anything like that? Like, I had a stamp collection. Yeah, I think I was, like, 12 or something, and I like, you're supposed to collect something. And then my stepdad had a stamp collection, but it was kind of messy, and I was like, why don't I get some albums and I'll organize these? And then I think for a year I bought some stamps. But it was really when I started moving, like going to art school, then going from The Hague to Rotterdam, then from Rotterdam to Maastricht, and then from Maastricht to Amsterdam. And every time I moved, I just was like, I don't want to keep mm. this. I don't want to keep this. Yeah, you see those, um, yeah. those, there's those like, you know, documentary bits about these like modest or humble collectors in New York city and they're living in a re- average size apartment. Oh yeah. <clears throat> They've been collecting yeah, yeah, like yeah. famous works for like 50 And they years. have like a, a work from every famous artist yeah. that it was all under 50 centimeters. Yeah. yeah. But you wa- they show the apartment and you're like, it's, 
<clears throat> the work's not at all enjoyable to look at because it's like stacked on top no, of and stacks it, and it's, of stuff. I think the the couple you're talking about, they collected a lot of minimal art, which is funny to be a, a hoarder of minimalism. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking, I think we're thinking of the same documentary. We should probably pull it up in the show notes. Yeah. But I remember thinking like, oh, this is a tragedy This for all this poor, this poor work in this tiny little space. What is the purpose? And they seem proud of... It's like the opposite of you. Like it was in their minds. It wasn't about the work itself. It's almost like an NFT, a reason yeah. for NFTs to exist. <clears throat> it was like there's a story. I, I, I don't know if each, I each one. I don't know if I told you this story before, but uh, Jan Dibbets is a Dutch conceptual artist, uh, 60s, 70s, etc. Uh, on onwards, and he described what it's like to be an artist and. He's like, well, an artist basically is very curious, and it's like a crocodile, and he has a very big mouth that he constantly has to feed. He's hungry for new things, mm. the artist, he or she or they. And so the, the, but people stare at the tail, and the tail keeps getting bigger because the artist is eating so much. And people admire, what a beautiful tail, but the artist can't look backwards. He can't look at his tail. He has to go forward and feed. Mm. And I, I like this idea that you you leave things behind and other people take care of it, but you have to go forward. You know, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I was kind of performing about. But like in media art uh, in France, but in new media, that's kind of the original philosophy. It was like, <clears throat> you can't trust this to exist in the future because the media was unstable. And so people knew it would decay and die. And so... Mm. But video is quite stable. It wasn't originally. Uh, it's only stable yeah, yeah. as a digital... But as soon as you digitize yeah. it, yeah. Because the, the whole digital thing is an archive. The, the computer is a memory bank, It's and the internet is a memory storage facility. Mm-hmm. It's nothing else than... I mean, storage. I guess I'm a collector in so much as I've never deleted an email, so... Yeah. I collect junk mail. Okay. Well, maybe uh, maybe that answers the question. <laughs> I think. You're like, you've so gone too far, to the next Jeremy, one, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, we can definitely go on. Um, yeah. Thanks for the question, though. Yeah. Interesting. So, thank you. Next question from Nels Nelson. Oh, we've had a question from Nels also before. Also sounds Swedish. I think. Yeah, but do you remember where Nels is from? Mm, I can't remember. Is it not in his message? No. No. It's a Gmail address. It's not at .se or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, um, Since you said you needed questions, and it's been a while, when I asked about naming a kid Raphael, uh, when I asked... About naming a kid, Raphael said he keep, keeps a list of artwork names. List, 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 any favorite lists, uh, generative art pieces, are they kind of a list? What about lists? <laughs> and then, as a potential personal fear to consider, I also keep a lot of lists, and my tendency to turn something creative into a spreadsheet could be a deadening process. Is there a dark side to lists? Maybe. So, let's talk about lists. Hmm, yeah. So lists, um, I'm not a real list maker, like, um, but I will do it on a project. If it's like, I need to get these three things done. Like when I'm stressed, I go to a list because my brain stops working naturally, like naturally. Overwhelmed. Yeah, it's overwhelmed. So it's yeah. more of like a, for me, it's like a management issue. Or if I write a script, I'll usually write it as a list of points I want to make. And I, I rarely write the whole text out i'm just like here are the points yeah that i want to make in a list and so that's useful because it yeah, yeah. that's that's very true 
I feel the same way. Like often I'll have ideas for an article or a blog post and I'll start with a list. And it's like, what, what do I want to say? Mm-hmm. And then you start writing the list and you see there's some double entries. Oh, I said that already. So I don't need to say that in, in just in another form. And you start, you make the list a little shorter, more concise. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, the list is the article. And I guess that's a listicle. But I remember Umberto Eco, is the name of the author, talking about lists as a literary form, like how to describe an animal mm-hmm. or a flower. And you, you list attributes. It's pink, it's tall, it's mm-hmm. whatever, if you describe a flower. And I think a lot of times, exactly what you're talking about, like everything seems confusing in your head. Like, what is my opinion on preservation? Should artworks be stable, etc.? And then you just start writing down all your thoughts in list form. There's really no need for a well-running text. And then the list is perfect. Yeah, I mean, why go beyond the list, um, the, the bullet points? Why go beyond the sketch? You know, no, but yeah. the reason I, th- I think it's interesting in a broader set of contexts is that, uh, for example, in business, just because, like, just, you know... We, you'd think that's where like the spreadsheet belongs that we were just talking about as a deadening process, but you're kind of, you're punished for writing in anything except lists, um, in that context. Like you, you really are just supposed to put like very like simple bullets. Like, yeah. Like imagine, imagine you're trying to write down the functionality of an app Mm -hmm. and then you start the article. It was a call thing tonight. (laughs) It was, (laughs) Yeah, and so those flourishes have a purpose somewhere, and they do add meaning and emotion. But I think well, that's what emoji are for. Yeah, for the but it's also for in for per, in business. It's for in person conversation. For me, in performance, it's for like improvisation. And if I were to overscript, there'd be no space for improvisation. It also reminds me of like in the classroom, if you fill it with too much content, there's no room for the student, and so. I don't know. For me, lists serve the purpose of creating space for other things. Yeah. But then I, lists, are, to me, are quite different than definitions. Mm. And when you try to define your opinion or when you try to define an area of your practice, like let's say you're, you're writing your artist statement. And you're like, I believe that A, B, C, D, mm-hmm. and th- therefore this. It often feels too limited when I try to define what I do. And I remember writing a text why my brain generates moving images and therefore I should never make objects. And I, I had oh, it yeah. all written out logic. and it made yeah. sense. Yeah. And then because I think writing is a form, like it's a, monogram, a, a monologue and you, you want to say something, you don't want to be vague. And so you're like, this is what I stand for. And I feel there's a danger there. If you try to define what you do in words and then take that seriously and then stop your creative exploration because you're like, well, I wrote it all down. Look, here's, here's the rules of being Yeah, me. I mean, that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying it. it's kind of like you, it may, becomes airtight. And if you're really good yeah, and precise. But it's tempting yeah. because you're like, oh, if I could put it all to words, that's so yeah. cool. But I think some people can do that. But what I found when I do that is that I end up in context, say I'm like, I wrote an airtight script or bullets even. Then I get in context and I'm like reading the audience. I'm like, I'm missing something. <laughs> and I have to I have to immediately go off of the list, you know, like get rid of the list and be like, okay, here we go. We're going to like just try this out here and try that. 
And that's why we do this podcast. But that's also how I feel at the grocery store. Here's the dark side of lists. Like you go to the grocery store, you've got a list, <laughs> right? Like someone now gave you the list. Seinfeld. Yeah, but like, no, but it's <laughs> yeah. true. It's very Seinfeld. But now maybe there's like, you know, beautiful uh, strawberries on sale. It's not on the list. Can I enjoy I the strawberries? It's, very, it's yeah. It's not on the list. But it's it's very similar when when someone asks me, uh, oh, what should I do in Tokyo? And I say, it's the worst when someone has tips because then you go there, the whatever tip there is, they're not open that day. You're frustrated. You miss the train. And instead, if you just walk around and explore, it's much better. So if the list keeps you open, I guess that's what we're trying to say. Like just. If it helps you to well, be Well, part open. of the question was, is there a dark side to list? And we all know there is. The listicle. Yeah. You know, the list of best things. It's a tempt- Let's. Oh. We're, we're drawn into the it. The perfect way to make the, the 10 best egg sandwiches in The best life. way to ruin an egg sandwich is to <laughs> look up a list of the 10 best egg sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. There's no serendipity yeah. left. And I, I have to admit, I often fall into the trap even when I was in Paris. I'm like, what's the best place for macarons what's the best place for this right and it, mm-hmm. i actually mm-hmm. was looking for sweetbreads the best sweetbreads never did find a place that i could get good sweetbreads at but no anyway but but i do feel like lists uh, to me um i think the notes app it, it used to be google docs when it before mobile phones and now it's the notes app maybe i used other apps through the years but I like the notes app and it syncs with the desktop and all that stuff, but it really is my verbal sketchbook. I have my visual sketchbook the sketching, but other than that, like every time I'm, I look at something and I'm like, Oh, that's a good title. Or I should remember that. That's really the notes app. And it's, well, the dark, yeah, it's, um, it's essential. I would say like it, it, it as the opposite of the dark side, it's very, very helpful. It's a very focused like tool. Notes. Like, yeah, but like notes on like, oh, I should write something about this. Oh, this would be a good title. Oh, I should remember to include this in this um, idea for an exhibition, like gathering ideas. And, and also when things are fuzzy, I think. That, well, right now I go through my notes app before, and it's like all lists. <laughs> so I guess I am. A list of yeah, lists. Yeah, like it's different lists, either scripts or to do's. Um as an aside, like another dark side of lists is I think the notes app killed Evernote. Do you remember Evernote? The app Evernote? I never used it. Okay. It was like one of the top apps in the world. And they recently like, yeah, I I remember it. it They recently fired like the remaining staff that they have after they got sold to some, some other company. That's, you know, but it's pretty hard probably to beat notes. Like the notes app to your point, it's just like, it's so good. It's so simple. I hope they don't add more drawing I love it. functionality to it. They keep adding new stuff that I never use. I'm not. I'm I, not drawing in there. I do like the notes. The notes app. The scan documents function. <laughs> we'll be talking in ten years, and it's like there's a whole operating system built into <laughs> notes. It's like I love checking I my so. email on notes. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love VR inside notes. <laughs> Yeah. I'm gonna do a voice message on my notes to you right now. Well, there is shared. Any, any notes update too. for you on 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 the uh, Vision Pro? Are you excited? Yeah, they they're about to open the applications. I'm gonna see if I can hack around the American only requirement. Um, for the SDK. Mm-hmm, yep. 
Yeah. But that's going to be a great notes taking app right there. <laughs> yeah, like how, what, what would notes look like in the... A memory palace. You have a virtual keyboard? No, you would place notes all around your house like as like a memory palace. You'd be like... Oh. You know. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. you would better, you'd better remember them when you take your headset off. That's, <laughs> that's my concept. I remember my mom had an external screen to connect her laptop to, but she would never collect, collect the laptop. And it was covered in physical post-it notes. They were all over the monitor that was never used. Yeah, I remember doing that too. Uh, because yeah. I would forget to check my to-dos on my app. And so I was like, <laughs> I'll put the to-do on the screen. Uh, haven't done that in a while though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then uh, we have one more question from Jack Rieger, who I think also asked us a yeah, question. These are before. serial question askers. They're so called yeah. VIP superstars. And we appreciate yeah, it. We appreciate them. Yeah. Uh, so Jack says I was walking by a storefront that had some very simple marker drawings on paper in the window. My initial reaction to these pieces were that they were art but not good art. <laughs> then I thought that distinction seems to be somewhat arbitrary, decided by the opinions of others and instilled in me through art education. How do you react to the question, what makes, good, what makes art good? This is like, a, so, yeah, every outsider, well, every, I think artists talk about it a lot, but also like if you meet, you know, if, at, in my work context, people, you know, it's a common like question that would come up in a social gathering, like just like help me understand, you know, like for someone who's from outside of art, what makes good art? But it sounds like in this case, he knows what good art is, um, but we're sometimes afraid to say it. Um, yeah, I, I, I always say um, art is like orange juice mm-hmm. and some people like orange juice, some people don't. Some people have orange soda and they think it's orange juice and they're not very educated. And then you can be lucky that you're in a region with really perfect orange juice and you might not even be aware that there's worse orange juice. Yeah. But for most people, it's an exploration. And I like to try orange juice in every part of the world and it's quite different. And the more you travel and the more you try it in different places, uh, you start to s- learn about nuances and yeah. then maybe you can have a yuzu or another citrus and you... you you start to appreciate details more. And so I think you, if you never had anything else than that frozen uh, orange juice that you add water to, and you're like, you're enjoying it. You're like, this is great orange juice. I love it. But then you're like, wait a minute. Let's go here and let's go there and let's try this and let's try that. I think it's a really good point. Yeah. It's very similar to other subcultures like wine or music. You could get deep on. It's like saying, is there good house music? Of course there's good house music, right? Or like good dance music but there's also yeah. bad dance music right? and and who decides mm-hmm. uh, one of my I, I i i apologize the last episode you talked about going to toronto and you were at a restaurant with friends and i had this preconceived notion that fancy restaurants are stupid and i was trying to prove my point even before you said anything oh. so sorry so a little that. self-reflection but, that's nice <laughs> yeah but my point now is that this idea that good art is similar to what is good food mm. and it's just very personal. But we can agree, like, having exposure to multiple regions and different price points, then you can make a better assessment yeah. than if you only had one thing. I would look at it like this. Like, if you've only had, if you only have five data points, the the mean and the, like, average are basically the same. It's like, you know, the 
like it, there and you don't have enough variation so it's like a spike instead of like a curve but the yeah. more data yeah. and more points you add the more nuance in the curve there is and the gradation between good and bad becomes clearer and clearer and it's no longer it's less and less arbitrary and so and then well, it's no longer the average example, it's the mean that you're looking for but for example a lot of people uh, love good paintings like the, very few people don't mm -hmm. and like maybe Thomas Kincaid and maybe Van Gogh and, and etc but a lot of people have a, a prejudice against video art they're like oh that's all boring black and white stuff I don't like that and then you might be someone like wait a minute there's really funny video art that precedes Jackass but was exactly the mm -hmm. same and there's uh, video art that preceded TikTok and there's video art and and it kind of predicted all these different things that happened in popular culture. And so it takes an introduction. You know, you know what's funny and about this question? it takes the knowledge of like what came before. What's, all, what, what's also funny about this question in regards to that is like our question about collectors. <laughs> this is, you know, in, in, an, mm -hmm. in essence, like we probably both are collectors, but we just don't hold on to the thing. But we collect ideas or collect well, point, like collect experiences. You mean we we collect knowledge? Yeah, and a lot, everyone does that. Yeah. But the, where you choose to focus your lived but, experience or your knowledge yeah, experience yeah. determines whether you'll be able to. You know, if you never go to a museum, how 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 are you going to know? But then, yeah, yeah. The counter argument is that I I am a snob with many things, and that also makes it like I can't just turn on the radio and enjoy it, and so there's a downside to becoming an expert. Well, the other counter-counter argument would be that you become an expert in what has been normalized, right, as well. Um, and so much as, like, you might not be able to access certain histories or, you know, when we say good art and bad art, a lot of it's also determined. We've talked about this on the podcast so many times, so, but I'll bring it up again just for posterity. But, like, different people write about certain kinds of art or ignore other kinds of art, and that biases what we get to see, and so that the data points mm -hmm. end up leaning in a certain direction to, you know, you yeah, never get to have yeah, that tangerine you juice. You only get to have orange juice. Yeah. Know? So. Yeah. But then, yeah, what makes good or bad? I, I do think, uh, I don't know if I'm being pretentious when I say this, but I really try to think non-hierarchically and I really not try not to think what is good or bad, but it's more a question of like, what is interesting in this moment? What makes sense in this space? Uh, what what works makes sense next to each other. Um, and that makes sense. Yeah, I'd, and it, it's something I constantly have to remind myself of. Like, don't try to see things hierarchically because it's kind of a a controlling thing. Like, I am the taste maker. I am the one who decides what is good or bad, and I'll tell you guys. But it's kind of useless, and it's better to be open and take things in. Yeah, like I went to that show at Palais Tokyo that I said I hated, and actually it was probably a pretty good show. In fact, I, I remember someone saying it was excellent that had just been. And the reason I didn't like it, I know it was different than I was there with Damien, Damien and he was like, I don't like it. Be I did like it because it made me feel something. And I was like, I don't like it because I felt that before. And for me, it was like, I'm tired of salty food. Like, I want something sweet, mm -hmm. you know? And just yeah, happened to yeah, be the yeah. mood I was in when I was seeing it. I was like, this is derivative. Um, 
which is the worst thing you can say. It's like it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate. Snob <laughs> statement. Yeah. But um, but sometimes you have to say it because you're not. I wasn't feeling it right. Like an emotion does factor into a lot of this stuff, and I think that that emotion comes but, from but, experience. Yeah. Imagine if if someone. Um, Let's say someone goes to, I don't know, they go to a Skrillex show and they, it's the first music act they see and they're like, this is the craziest show ever. And at that moment, that's like everything. But then if you start to dig in, you're like, oh, that's based on this and on this house music in Europe and on this and that. And actually, these people did it 20 years ago, but the, the kid wasn't alive back then. And the kid is 15 when Skrillex happens. Mm-hmm. So do you really want to go there and then tell them, oh, what you just experienced is a derivative thing? No, and also I don't think they're like being derivative means it's bad always, right? Sometimes it's the best version of something yeah. that's ever been produced. And yeah. so Yeah, yeah. I, I always think of that band the uh, the Cramps. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. know them? Yeah. And and um they were kind of like a punk era retro rockabilly weirdness. But I think it's more interesting than their source material. And uh, there's there's these weird moments where there's like a weird retro moment, mm-hmm. and then the retro is sometimes better than what happened right. before. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean yeah. we're certainly like living through a postmodern era. Like we're now for what since the 1960s, 70s. So well, now it's post-contemporary. Oh, yeah, ultra-contemporary, whatever it is. But, like, either way... Well, to me, like, contemporary art is this thing that's very chic and high-production and academic, and I feel like now we're in the post-contemporary. Yeah, I just mean culturally, like, I divide the line between, like, pre-enlightenment and post-enlightenment. And, again, this is, like, a Western bias. I said that earlier for a reason. Are you trying to sound sound snob? No, but, like, there was the, the time where there was the illusion of genius and a single point of view... To rule them all, like the top-down yeah, yeah, yeah. modernist, like one big fashion. We can just achieve, you know, progress at, and reach the pinnacle, you know, mountaintop, and then you know that truth exists. And then that all got turned upside down under postmodernism. Like truth doesn't exist. All images are equal. You know, like subjectivity reigns supreme. You can steal anything. Steal anything. Reappropriate. Remix. All there is is the remix. There's nothing new. Um, as long as you're friends with the art world. And here we are. And so that's very confusing, I think, for the average um, person. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a really good point when you're like, why is this in the museum and not this thing that I love? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also I think museums are confused that, at this point. Like, museums don't even know what belongs anymore. And that's my hot take on museums. <laughs> But they're they're especially well, it, confused. I, right I now. think I think we're getting somewhere because it, it, on the one end I'm trying to unlearn, trying to judge everything and say this is good, this is bad, and I'm trying to be more open. At the same time, when we move to an era of the creator becoming going to the forefront more than the fine artist, and everyone in this open space of social media and internet, and then it's just like this giant pool of individuals. And how are you supposed to make a judgment as an audience? Uh, You're not. That's like, kind of the... Imagine going on yeah. YouTube. Uh, imagine just going on YouTube and trying to find independent films that don't have distribution. Like, where do you even start? Yeah, I mean, but that's, that is Without the postmodern condition. Of, of Sundance. That is the malaise yeah, so, that we feel. Yeah. Yeah. 
but but so you have film festivals that help you to discover new films that are not in the mainstream theater but YouTube and Vimeo is like a few steps beyond that. So you could be, the sky's the limit. The, the people make about a million films a day and, and pick your winners. Yeah, yeah, it's infinite. And like the, the idea and, is... And that's the space you operated in. Yeah. I do. And I operate within like the like a duality, like, a, like a, not within a binary, like within a quantum state of being good and bad at the same time. No, no, it's it's very interesting, yeah. Because at the same time, you want to be open and not be the arbiter of truth because you know that it's not the era anymore of like, we're the surrealists and everybody else is fake. Um, yeah. At the same time, yeah. Well, no, I was with my sister-in-law in Paris, which is funny because both Kristen and my sister were there together. My sister-in-law, they're twins. And at one point, her sister-in-law, my sister-in-law, Nora, is kind of negative. I don't want her to get a reputation on this podcast as a wet blanket because that still haunts me. <laughs> that, that that question. That's still Kristen. still brings that up to this Kristen day. Kristen, the wet blanket. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I don't want another nickname for Nora. But when, but Nora tends to be overly critical. And when I say overly critical, at one point, she was like, "Yeah, I just don't like Paris," and I was like. So is that a binary? Like Paris is either good or bad? And I was like, I think what you mean to say is you don't like Paris as much as New York or you don't like Paris as much as Glasgow. And she's like, thanks for correcting me on that. But no, I did mean to say I don't like it, right? So I think, I do think she meant the former, which is not as much. But we often think in these totalities, like these like absolute yeah, um, but then positions. then there's the question of of ideally people are completely open and they can take every work in and give it full attention so it has a fair shot, but that's not realistic. You can't take in every work of art ever made. Mm-hmm. So then you have tastemakers and funnels and institutions that help you to select, but then we know that They're there's biased. downsides to that. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're biased, whatever. It, 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 no matter what you do, they, they have a preference. That's the idea of selection. So it, do your own research, find your own art, but you can't look at everything. So it, you'll always have a network of where your information comes from and how you Yeah, I mean, for yeah. me, it's, and we're getting close to time here, so we've exhausted this extremely long question, but like, it, for me, at the end of the day, it comes down to curiosity, right? Like, And if the work draws you in or you are curious how it might be good or bad like just the the asking questions for me is the yeah i know that's kind of kind of cliche well, like art that asks questions let, right? let me give you a, a simple example if you go to the best museums in the world you know you, there's probably a list of the the museums with the biggest budget you'll probably see the same work just the same author the same artists but you'll see a richard Serra and you'll see a picasso yeah it's kind of boring so it it's good, you know, it's good, but it's also predictable. And at the same time, if you go to regional museums and a little bit smaller museums, you might, I found stuff in smaller museums that were much more surprising and were still selected by an institution. So it's not like you just go to open studios in a small town and you really have to dig to find something good. Yeah. It's still an institution with a lot of dedicated staff that are making a, their selection. And well, and if you do that internationally, like you, think, you get even more points of view too, because you see the permanent yeah. collection. And so maybe this idea of of seeing museums as uh, a place for a certain quality mark, but 
going to smaller museums, maybe that helps to make it a little more open. Yeah, I also was going to, I think that's a really good point, but I think that students have the best, are in the best position because they can see, they're seeing a lot of their colleagues and peers work while they're also like giving themselves time to go and research specific artists or... Um, well, also, they don't have too many practical life Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So they have just like, that's why going to art school, it's one of the reasons that it is beneficial because you... You rarely have the time to deter to have, to be curious to determine what you like and don't like, and very and if you're a member of the public who's never engaged with art, you're given like what an hour at a museum once a year when your family's in town, and it's definitely not enough time. Or you're walking by the window and there's a marker drawing. I think you don't have time to consider whether it's good or bad, and so you make a snap judgment based on your previous experience. Man. If people didn't binge watch, everybody would have time. Well, would you sit there for an hour and consider the the marker drawings in the window, though? Probably not, you know. So we do, like, there are these, like, time bubbles. But it's funny when people say they're busy and they're like, did you see the show? It's amazing. Did you see this show? Yeah, yeah, exactly. People have a lot of time. They do. Yeah. Anyway, these are some good questions. So, yeah, heated questions. (laughs) Uh, We have a field recording from... Christian Hjortberg. <laughs> I hope you're getting that right. And, yeah. In uh, Suka Beach, Victoria, British Columbia. Canada. Uh, pebbles rolling in the waves. Canada, shout out. Victoria is beautiful. Yeah. Keep it Canada. All right. Let's listen to some pebbles. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for the great questions. Thanks for the questions. And, uh, Field recordings are welcome. Till next time. Keep coming. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye.